in those memories. On Mother's Day, my sermon was entitled The Strong Family, based on Deuteronomy chapter 6. Today, it's entitled The Weak Family. So I'm reading through the Bible this year, and not that long ago, I was reading through 1 Samuel. And the first chapters of 1 Samuel really struck me. I, I was very moved and very sad at what I was reading. And I thought, wow, the importance of fatherhood. And what happens when fatherhood doesn't go well and isn't done well. So I just want to share some thoughts with you today. And if your family is intact, communicating, supportive, and laughing today, then give thanks to God. We need you. The church needs you. Society needs you. So I certainly want to be sensitive to families that are struggling today, but also present the word of God. And maybe here today you've already raised your family. Your kids are grown up and gone like mine are. And you have a few regrets like I do. I want you to take consolation today that I believe that you did the best you knew how and the best you could. And that you can trust God that he's going to work all things out for good according to his riches and glory. All right. So we're going to be in the first four chapters of First Samuel today. You may want to open your Bible and read and follow along, and we'll certainly have the verses up on the overhead above. We're going to highlight a man named Eli. What do we know about him? Well, we know he was both a priest and a judge. So that meant that he was the leader of Israel politically as well as religiously. 418 tells us that he held this post for 40 years. To be that long, you have to be reliable, dependable. You have to be faithful. And he he was all of that. His name means God is high. That indicates that he was a believer. God heard his prayers. One such prayer was for a lady named Hannah, who was barren and was praying to have a son. And we read in 1 Samuel 1.17, Then Eli answered to Hannah, Go in peace. And the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have made to him. It's almost like a prophetic word that he spoke to her in faith. God is going to answer your prayer. And God did. She had a son, and his name is Samuel. Eli himself had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. He was quite old by the end of his life. 4.15 says that he was nearly blind and died at age 98. Lastly, the story tells us that he was very heavy, and we're going to see why that matters a little bit later. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests, 1 Samuel 1.3. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. So were these two priests good and decent men like their father? No. Religious scandals aren't a new thing. They've been happening for a long time. Let's read about their religious scandal. 1 Samuel 2, 12 to 17. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. 
all that the fork brought up the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Verse 12 says that they were worthless men and they did not know the Lord. They were unbelievers. Literally, that means they never gave the Lord a single thought. There was no fear of the Lord in their eyes, but they were in the God business. I remember a conversation I had with a friend long ago. He said, I met a Methodist minister today and we had a conversation. And he told me that his religion was Buddhism and his job was the pastor of a Protestant church. He said the tax breaks are really great. So while these men never never gave God a single thought, they certainly gave thought to their appetites. Verse 13 and 14 mentions the three-pronged fork, which sounds strange to us. Let me try to explain this. According to the law, you would bring an animal for sacrifice. Let's, let's say it was a bull. It would be slaughtered to, before the Lord at Shiloh in this case. The fat portions would be burned up first. That was to give a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And that's kind of interesting that you know how a marble steak smells on the grill? Smells so good? The Lord loved that smell. Then they would take the rich, fatty parts. Instead of burning it for the Lord, they took that for themselves. The breast and right thigh were theirs, which they also took. And the rest of the animal could be eaten by the family that brought the animal for sacrifice. But the servants of these two Priests were taking that for themselves, what was meant for the family. This is a cult-like practice where a leader coerces someone to hand over their paycheck, hand over their belongings, maybe even take their wife. Sadly, in some extreme cases of the health and wealth kind of ministries that promise people, just give us your paychecks. Give us your life savings, and we promise a hundredfold return blessing. They, in this case, were using it for personal gain. Verse 17 says they treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. But here's another thing. They were also immoral. In 2.22, it reads, now Eli was very old. And he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. These men were using their powerful position to take advantage of women. Eli speaks to them about that in verses 23 to 25. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons. It is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God may mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord 
to put them to death. They didn't even hide it. They were openly flaunting their sin before all. And quite often, we've seen this, that godly parents, their, their children don't always follow in the ways of the Lord. I read about a church-going couple whose three daughters strayed far from the Lord. Daughter number one moved out of the house at 16 to live with her boyfriend. Daughter number two was such a discipline problem that one time, once, in anger, the father slapped her. She went to the police. He was charged with child abuse, and she was taken out of the home and grew up in a foster home where she's had multiple abortions and children unmarried. Daughter number three kept her parents from disciplining her by threatening to take them to children's services. She was pregnant at 19 and addicted to drugs. Now, our natural assumption would be, we would probably never say it, but we would think it, wow, those two are lousy parents. Look how their kids have turned out. But I remember something James Dobson said a long time ago that I've always remembered and thought it was really good advice. If your kids turn out really good, don't take too much credit. And if they turn out really poorly, don't take too much blame. I think that's good. I think that's right. But in this case, Eli has to shoulder responsibility for their actions because they're priests. About this time, Eli adopted three-year-old little Samuel. That fulfills the promise Hannah made to him that we read in 117 when she came praying for a son and Eli said, the Lord is going to give you one. And he did give her a son in her barrenness. And so she promised if God would give her a son, he would give him over to the Lord to serve the Lord all of his life. And we use that passage in 1 Samuel 1 to dedicate our children to the Lord, too. So she made good on that promise. She brought weaned Samuel. I imagine he was three or four years old to Eli, who would raise him to take over the priestly duty someday. So think about that, if you will. Here's this little boy growing up in this super dysfunctional home. His dad is a very old man, probably in his 90s, nearly blind and overweight. His two grown stepbrothers are very wicked, depraved men. There's no mention of a wife here, a woman in the home. Probably Eli's wife is already dead. Hannah, Samuel's mom, did visit him from time to time and bring him items. So I think God must have wrapped him in a protective bubble. It says this in 2.21. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah. She conceived, bore three sons and two daughters. So she had additional children. It says, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So while this chaos was going all around him, here was this protective bubble of the Lord's presence all around Samuel. We parents can pray that too, even when we don't know what we're doing. Even when we don't do a good job, God is right there. With his presence helping that child. I find it ironic that Samuel's sons were dishonest men. Unlike Samuel, who was a godly man. So I wondered, was he influenced by Eli's parenting style? What did Eli do wrong as a parent? Well, one thing he offered weak reproof. Look at 2, 22 through 24. 
Now, Eli was very old and he kept hearing that all his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of Israel spreading abroad. He could have done more. People told him about the problems that are going on in his family, but he ignored that. Let's read 227 to 34. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord. Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? That's the the tribe of Levi, which Eli was a descendant of. To go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out and to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. God himself warned Eli through little Samuel. Look at 311 through 14. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which... The two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Eli's reaction to these stern words kind of shrugs his shoulders almost. He seems fatalistic about it. In 3.18, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And, and he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So what could he have done? Well, the Old Testament law would have given him instruction from these verses and others. He could have set boundaries. He could have offered tough love. He could have set rules and stuck by them. He could have disciplined his son, which scripture certainly says we are to do. 
And he could have prayed for these boys. We never have an example of him praying for his sons anywhere in the text. I think there's some things that we can learn from Eli as a parent that we parents can avoid. Let me give you four things, very practically speaking, that we can put into practice in our own parenting. Number one, he was preoccupied, preoccupied with his career at the expense or exclusion of his family's needs. Preoccupied with his career. He was both a priest and a judge. He had to have been busy doing both. As a judge, he would have had to travel the circuit to the various towns rendering judgments. He was gone days at a time, home late. He never had time for his two boys. It reminds me of the Harry Chapin song, The Cats in the Cradle. You're probably familiar with it. Of a father who was always gone, never had time for his son. Then when he was an older man, his grown son said, sorry, dad, I'm really busy. And he had no time for his elderly father. Dads, what does it matter if you're the greatest salesman, lawyer, mechanic, preacher? You work hard to help your kids be better off rather than better. What profit does it gain them if you give them the entire world and they lose their soul? Your family is the only thing you're taking to heaven with you. So you don't want to be a man that comes to the end of his life with a lot of regrets for how he raised his family. Your children want unhurried time with you more than they want a lot of stuff. Point number two, he refused to face the evil of his son's choices. It's like he lived in denial. He didn't want to face it. He didn't want to deal with it. First Samuel three thirteen. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Proverbs 19:18 says, "Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death." The truth of the matter is Eli was a weak man. His will was weaker than his sons. Parents, your will has to be stronger than especially your younger children. You have to stand for the truth. You can't close your eyes to their sin and just pretend it doesn't exist. Number three, point three here, by way of application. He failed to heed the warnings of others. He failed to heed the warnings of others. God brings people along our paths to warn us when we're going the wrong way. When we've gotten off course. And it doesn't have to be impairing. It could be in any area of our life. These chapters say that the people of Israel warned him. A man of God warned him. And God himself warned him through little Samuel. Yet he failed to act. So when you're warned by scripture or by a friend or even by a stranger about something you're doing, do you heed that warning or do you blow it off and ignore it? And fourthly, he participated in their wrong and was judged. He participated in their wrong and was judged. 
Remember earlier I said that Eli was obese. Let's look at 2.29. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? You're honoring your sons above me. We can love our children more than God and put them above God in our life. And then the prophet of God speaking God's word to him said, you're fattening yourselves. That's so indicting. Eli was eating the fatty meat, too, and the extra meat his sons were taking. He went along with it and benefited from their theft. And he was judged because of his son's sins and his own. We cannot control the decisions our adult children make, but we can't allow their decisions to impact ours. What kind of an example was he setting for his sons as he indulged in the meat that wasn't legitimately his? Our children obey when they see us set the good example, the right example. When we're living the truth, they'll be more apt to as well. So how did he die? What eventually happened? What's the culmination of the story? Eli's story. It's found in 4, 12 to 18. Let's read that. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his feet by the road watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. The ark was taken into battle. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now, Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate. And his neck was broken and he died. And it gives a reason for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. He was told his two sons were struck down in battle and the ark captured and he fell backward off his chair. And due to his immense, enormous weight, it broke his neck and he died. Sociologist Carl Zimmerman has done an exhaustive study on the deterioration of various cultures. He found 11 patterns of behavior which typified the final stages of that deteriorating culture. I'm going to briefly read eight of those 11. Increased and easy, causeless divorce. Decrease in the number of children born in families. Increased public disrespect for parenthood. 
Elimination of the real meaning of marriage. Breakdown of inhibitions against adultery. Increased teen rebellion against parents. Rapid rise and spread of juvenile delinquency. And the last common acceptance of all forms of sexual perversion. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? It seems as if America's bent on repeating history of various cultures who wound up in the dustbin of history. We Christians must make sure that we stand for truth and not be entangled in America's sins. We must flee Babylon so we won't be judged with her inner sin. So we parents have a huge responsibility to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And society's doing us no favors. It's making it so hard for us. That's why Christians must stick together and encourage and help each other in this very important mission of raising godly children. Thank you. Eli wasn't a very good father, but God is. God, our father, loved us so much that he sent his own son to die on the cross for our sins. And if you don't know Father God, you can right now, before we're going to take communion, the Lord's table is going to be offered to us. If you don't know the Lord personally, right there where you're seated, you can pray a prayer that God would forgive your sins And come into your life and be the Savior and Lord of your life. I want to pray for you right now. Lord, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. I would just pray for anyone who might be in the sound of my voice. That if they do not know you as their personal Savior, as their heavenly Father. The one who sent his son to die on the cross for their sins. If they've never appropriated that, made that real. That right now, right where they are, they would say, Father, forgive me of my sins. I have sinned against you. I've done my own thing, gone my own way, and it's wrong. I repent of my sin. I turn from it, and I turn to you. I ask that you would give me the benefits of Jesus' death on the cross, that it would be for me, that you would come and live inside of me, be my Savior and the Lord of my life, and you would remember my sins against me no more, that I would be your child And a follower of yours the rest of my life. And Lord, right now, before the rest of us partake of this holy meal, that we make ourselves right with you, that we confess any sin to you in this preparatory time. And that you are just and faithful to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You are so good and merciful Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to take this meal. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a few introductory thoughts.